Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by our good friend Jared Sutton of the SEC Network and also former Mizzou basketball player. He's set to stop by and join us, and uh, he's also a scout for the New Orleans Pelicans, so we'll get his thoughts on the start of the college basketball season. And uh, being a Mizzou Tiger, we'll get his uh, take on the return of KU and MU, which will begin next year as well. So we'll break that all down when uh, Jared joins us in just a little while from right now. Joining me as always is Thomas Bridges. And TB, uh, th- this week, you know, we were talking last week felt like it was a month within a week. This week, it's been a little bit slower per se. You had the survival of Matt Moore. The Chiefs did lose, but the world didn't come crashing down because Matt Moore played quarterback. KU ends up pulling off the upset against uh, Texas Tech. And uh, you also had Oklahoma State get a win against Iowa State. You had K-State pull off an upset against OU. Um, I mean, these type of things, that was like two days. But now we've just sat back and kind of just enjoyed all of it, just let it seep in per se the last few days. Yeah, it has. It did slow down a little bit, uh, you know. Other than, you know, a few little bits of NBA action and uh, obviously the World Series last night uh, does seem to be a slower week. I thought, I don't know what you think, Tom, with that World Series, between the other things that happened around it, whether it was President Trump getting booed at the uh, Nats game, whether it was the the girls showing their boobs or um, the uh, sexual harassment claims with the Astros, there was more storylines around the World Series that got more attention and that were more important than the World Series itself. The ratings for the World Series were just absolutely terrible this year. And, uh, I mean, just simply nobody was watching. People cared about more of the stuff around it than the games themselves. It did seem like that. There wasn't a whole lot of, I don't know, it didn't feel like a normal World Series, even though it went seven games, which is usually not the case. Uh, But... You know, hats off to the Nats because I uh, did not expect that coming into the series. How do you think Bryce Harper feels today? Uh, you know, he's making however much money. I think he's probably all right. I was expecting to see a tweet from him, like at least congratulating the Nats, you know, his former teammates, his buddies, whatever. Just nothing. Um, he has shut it down, and he is enjoying all that money he made somewhere else. Uh, I doubt he's in Philly right now either uh, as uh, his uh, team – Obviously did not even make the uh, postseason to this point. But plenty to discuss on today's show as uh, we get right into it, Tom. Uh, Looking back at the week in the Big 12, let's start there. Uh, K-State knocks off OU. The Sooners handed their first loss of 2019. And, Tom, when I watched that game, the way I was looking at that game, I was thinking to myself, if if K-State doesn't go to that soft coverage – in the fourth quarter. They could have won that game by 20 points or more. I thought when they called off the dogs a bit and tried to play safe that that actually put them in worse position. That opened up the door back for OU to contend in that game once again. If they would have continued what they were doing, they would have been in great shape to uh, hold on and end OU's playoff chances. The way that game finished of OU coming back with having that onside kick opportunity, even though it was overturned and all that, OU's playoff chances were remained. They lived on for another day based on just that 10-minute stretch basically saved their season. 
Yeah, I did. It showed, you know, fight and um, kind of some grit. And if they would have got that onside kick, you know, a lot of things can happen. But they would have got it. They would have had the momentum. They probably would end up winning that game. Uh, as an OSU fan, I'm glad they didn't. But that being said, their playoff hopes are not over yet. However, they do still have to face your favorite Iowa State team. And that is no easy task. Um, it is in Norman, so and they do have a bye week. So I think they'll be all right. Uh, obviously, Texas, you know, is on their downward slide. And, I mean, obviously, OU still has to face Baylor, too. Um, so I think they can pull it off. I think they will. Uh, granted, you know, depends on what happens in the rest of the college football world. But for OU, they can't slip up again, obviously. Yeah, and watching that game, Tom, seeing what OU did there, it felt like that they didn't even take K-State seriously in the sense of that they they treated them just like they would any other opponent, per se. It felt like that Lincoln Riley and company came into that game and basically decided, hey, we're going to do what we do every single week. And K-State came in with a great game plan. Chris Kleiman was well-prepared. And that is uh, one of, if not the biggest upsets in all of college football this year. Credit to Kleiman and company for coming in prepared, for getting those guys motivated uh, to be well-positioned well for that game. And when you think about it, K-State, as well-coached as they are and you know, being the position they are in at 5-2, and two, this is not a team that has the playmakers OU does either. KU actually has more skill position players, better talented skill position players, than K-State does even. Um, that tells you just how much this K-State team, it's about the team. It's about the effort that they put in defensively, playing sound football, not making mistakes to that sense. Um, they really executed very well, and OU was the more talented team. No one's going to question that by any means, but that day K-State was the better team, and they were the better coach team uh, on on Saturday of last week. Yeah, they were, and they wanted it more, and a lot of OU people, though, it's strange. They almost know when they're going to choke that this would have been the game that would it would have happened. I'm, I swear, like five or six different OU fans said, hey, this is the week. we got to be careful. Uh, and, and sure enough, it ended up happening. Right. Self-fulfilling prophecy for fandom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll say this. Now you have K-State set to take on KU, who's uh, coming off a big win themselves against Texas Tech. And we'll talk about KU here in just a second. But I'll say this. A lot of people are talking about letdown and all that after that big victory. Um, I wouldn't make a big deal as far as letdown goes. I will say, though, and this is one of the games we're going to pick in our pick em actually later on, so we're not going to give our picks quite yet. But just because K-State pulled off a win against the number five team in the country and KU beat one of the lesser teams in the Big 12 by three, that doesn't just automatically equate that K-State is going to blow out KU by any means. I think we're setting up for one of the best Sunflower Showdown games we've seen in quite some time, and the fans have responded to that. That's why this weekend's game is going to be a sellout for the first time in a long time at Memorial Stadium. Yeah, it definitely doesn't equate. And, and you know, hats off to K-State for playing the way they did against OU uh, and, and, you know, any given Saturday type situation almost. But 
Uh, K-State has looked impressive in games and then looked absolutely horrible in others. Uh, so, And we talked about this even before K-State beat OU. We talked about it really depends on what K-State team shows up. Uh, but that KU team showed a lot of fight. What, what were they down? 17 nothing at one point and came back and, and won that game. Uh, so this is the, one of the more exciting KU-K-State games that I can even re- think to remember even going back year to year. Yeah, and uh, for the first time since 2010, K-State is not a double-digit favorite. Uh, so Vegas even recognizes that this should be a very good bowl game coming up on Saturday. And K-State's victory as well as KU's, and we mentioned Oklahoma State and, and at TCU, all the games in the Big 12 last week, the underdogs came through with wins. And so we mentioned with in OU's case that you know their playoff hopes survived. But it's very clear when you look at that OU team, they still have problems with that defense. Alex Crench has come in and done a great job taking over that defense, but it was very vanilla last week against K-State. They had no answer for Skylar Thompson and that running game that K-State put together. Oklahoma still has issues to work out. And the offense at times... Lincoln Riley is so good of an offensive coordinator, it feels like that he's doing too much at times. That the plays that they're calling, it, it seems like they're playing like for their their playoff lives of some sorts with every single play. Back it down. And I, I find myself even being crazy saying this, Tom, but I feel like that this OU offense needs to be a little bit more conservative, per se. Run the ball more. Try to win at the line of scrimmage and not get too cute at times. I think that those couple things are getting in this Sooners team's way. Every team they play from here on out in the regular season and maybe even the Big 12 championship, they're going to be the more talented team, but they have to play like it every single night. Yeah, they do, and in and- as far as that defense goes, for you know, for the majority of the season, it looked like they it shorted up, and I don't, you know, I don't know if it was just an off day or K State exposed something, but I mean, it, as far as you know, being an OSU fan, just looking forward to Bedlam, I'm thinking, hey, run Chuba outside, uh, because if K State could, you know, run outside against OU like that, then Chuba might have a field day. Um, I think they will shore it up. It, I think it was just an off day, but I'm also not a, a college football coach, so I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I will, you know, it's by week this week, and it probably couldn't have come at a better time for OU. Yeah, probably so. Um, and uh, I'm sure they'll rebound and they'll be fine. seems like we go through this every year talking about OU at some point that uh, they fall in a game that they're not supposed to uh, in that regard. I would say that Jalen Hurts' Heisman chances aren't over by any means. He's still one of the top four players in the country. Um, my Heisman ballot, if if I were to vote right now, Tom, um, I would have, in no particular order right now, I think that you got to talk about three players before you bring up Jalen Hurts right now. I would say Chase Young at Ohio State. I would say Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State. And I would also say Joe Burrow at LSU. All three of those guys, I would vote ahead of Jalen Hurts at the moment. Jalen's having a very good season. And this Heisman race is still wide open right now, but he's not the favorite anymore. No, of course not. Not with the way Burrow's playing. And and LSU just feels like a special season. Um, So, you know, I am really thinking that if if LSU can keep up what they're doing, that's my favorite. 
uh, right now, just the way that he's been able to lead his team and, and do and come away with what LSU has, you know, had this season. And uh, that's my vote right now. I think that's the majority of people's, you know, voting right now. I, I think that's almost the obvious option, but I'll take it. Well, in, in the case with Chase Young, this guy we've talked about for quite some time, the tank for Tua thing, the, the Dolphins, some of these bad teams are doing. Chase Young looks like he's going to be the best player in this draft. Um, I would hesitate on saying that Tua needs to be the number one guy. Uh, I would lean towards Chase Young right now as being the guy I would build a franchise around at this point in time uh, of getting a defensive player like that of that kind. Um, Chase Young is going to have to do some spectacular things for a defensive player to be considered for the Heisman Trophy. But right now, his season, he's playing better every single week and if he continues to keep on building that he certainly is worthy of being in the conversation there hasn't been a defensive player to win the Heisman Trophy since Charles Woodson um, but he certainly deserves his seat at the table he's different than Ndamukong Sue was or some of these other defensive players uh, th- this guy's the real deal I'm all in on Chase Young as a, a Heisman Trophy candidate especially in a wide open race Tom yeah of course and and I, you know, even if he doesn't win, he definitely should be, you know, considered with what he's been able to do at Ohio State and the, you know, kind of the leader of that defense. It, when you watch that Ohio State team, it feels like they feed off of him almost. Uh, like he's, you know, he's the engine that powers that Ohio State defense. And and right now, with what Ohio State's doing, you know, they need that in the final stretch of the season. Not because I think they're going to lose a game but just to keep that momentum going, not to get too complacent with just winning. And, uh, you know, you, we saw what happened with, with Wisconsin and Illinois. You know, obviously, they got blasted the next week by Ohio State. But, uh, you know, you gotta you got to make sure you, you know, don't get too complacent. And I think Chase Young is the leader on that defense and, and every bit of Heisman candidate worthy than, than the rest of the players we mentioned. No doubt. No doubt about that. And uh, looking at the rest of the Big 12 in uh, our pre- Big 12 breakdown, we mentioned Kansas. Big-time win for them against Texas Tech, the first Big 12 win in the Les Miles era. It comes in an upset nonetheless as a Texas Tech was favored in that game at home. And uh, i got to tell you, I mean, there's a few things to take away, one of those being the offense through two games looks a world better with Brent Deerman taking over as offensive coordinator. We saw it in the Texas game, and we saw it again. The way that Carter Stanley has really just unleashed that he can throw the football down the field, that he's been accurate, he's been efficient. His numbers, we're talking about 19 touchdowns, only five interceptions, and he's third in the conference in passing yards and passer efficiency right now. Carter Stanley is a quarterback that I have never seen before from him in his entire career, and I've seen him play all four years, and it's just incredible what they've seen. The skill position players we mentioned, Parchment has been unreal. Steven Robinson, Stephon Robinson has been uh, really good uh, the last few weeks. Puka Williams is back to being the Puka we know and love. Um, Daylon Charlotte's looking good. That defense has some issues to deal with. they got to get better there. They have good coaching in DJ Elliott and Clint Bowen on that side of the ball. Um, but there's certainly reason to be optimistic. Kansas finishes out the season uh, with not an easy slate between K-State this week, Oklahoma State, uh, as well as Iowa State and Baylor. And uh, i got to tell you, 
looking at this Kansas team, the way that they're playing right now, none of those four teams at the moment, Tom, probably want to play Kansas with how much they've improved and how different they are, comparably speaking, than even just a couple weeks ago. Right, and, and you go back and, you know, no one wants the, the team that you know is almost a scheduled win to, to give you any scares. Uh, you know, it feels good a lot of the times to at least have one scheduled win. And for, you know, the, the whole Big 12, it doesn't seem like there's one team anymore that's a scheduled win. Uh, I mean, there's really not. And, I mean, that's a testament to how good the Big 12 is and how the good how good the Big 12 is going to keep being. Uh, there used to be at least one team that you're like, okay, we have them this week, we'll be okay. Um, and now you don't have that anymore, uh, at least with this new offensive coordinator for Carter Stanley. And I would say that, and this is, I would say, as an objective opinion, you guys know, you if you've been listening to me for years, uh, I, I call it how it is, and, you know, call it balls and strikes. And I've been very critical of this Kansas program over the last couple of years. I would say right now, at this point in the season, and, I mean, the standings aren't going to reflect it by any means, KU's not the worst team in the Big 12. They're better than Texas Tech. They proved that on Saturday. I would say they're better than West Virginia. They almost beat them a few weeks back when this team was a whole lot different. They weren't what they are now and won back then. Uh, just for the fact that we're talking about Kansas not being the bottom feeder team in the Big 12 is such an improvement in itself for Les Miles in this Kansas program that they're heading the right direction. That this year, the very first year, uh, Les Miles is not sitting in the cellar, that this team is taking the right steps and that they're contending each week. Oh, yeah. I mean, it justifies his hire and it justifies and solidifies uh, him taking the spot over David Beatty and it solidifies Kansas taking the step in the right direction. Uh, I mean, there's no negatives so far out of this whole ordeal. Right. It's uh, terrific, to uh, say the least, uh, from what we're seeing from this Kansas program. Iowa State, they finish out the uh, br- month of October with a loss at the hands of uh, Oklahoma State. First time ever that Brock Purdy has lost in the month of October. Tom, I, I think it was close enough to November. We-, we might as well just wipe that one off the off the sheet. You know, We, we can just say that he was 7-0 and in, uh, in October, but... Iowa State, I got to say, you know, I was very high on this team and Brock Purdy and company going into this season, but um, I think Tom and several others mentioned that, you know, Iowa State lost a lot. Alan Lazard was catching some big-time passes for the Packers the other night when they beat the Chiefs. Um, Even though he went undrafted, Iowa State clearly misses him. David Montgomery is a huge part of the Chicago Bears offense now, and they don't have the run game they had before. Brock Purdy's improved as a quarterback. That's very clear, but he doesn't have the talent around him that he had once before, and that's nothing against Matt Campbell or anything. We're just now seeing how long and how hard it is to replace those star players they had before. The defense is, you know, pretty good, but probably not as as good as it was a year ago and just a down year of some sorts. Iowa State's going to be fine. They're building. Um, this down year for Iowa State right now, they'll gladly take, per se. If this is their down year, um, Iowa State fans have a lot of reason to be optimistic and excited about their future because uh, in years past, they would have loved to have this as their up year of some sort. So um, Iowa State, I know they aren't who I thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season, but I think Cyclone fans, Cyclone fans still have reason to be optimistic about that future under Matt Campbell. 
Oh, of course they do, and they still have Brock Purdy for at least another year. They'll be all right, but I'm so glad that I was happy after last week's show, after the three picks by your boy Brock in the fourth quarter. I just thought, oh, yes, okay. And I'm just so happy. I'm Thomas Bridges here. Glad glad to have you with us today after that win. Um, but, you know, speaking on that game, there are, are rumors going around that and not nothing confirmed that I've seen yet. But some rumors going around that Tylen Wallace for OSU has a torn ACL and is out for the rest of the season. Well, that would just be crushing if that's the case. Oh, it, yeah, it really would be. Tylen Wallace is one of my favorite players in the country. Um, I get excited every time I see him on the TV. Um, and that would be a huge blow not only to Tylen. This is a guy that uh, was going to be a lock to be a first-round draft pick this year. And uh, certainly that hurts his status if he's got a torn ACL and and uh, doesn't mean that he's able to you know play right away in the NFL next season. Could mean some time to uh, recover, not be able to go from the uh, the jump. So that's not good news for Ty Long. Let's start there before we talk about Oklahoma State as a whole here, Tom. If if Ty Long is out for the year, if this is the case, um, I mean you hate to see that happen. Of course. But as far as his future goes, it's so unfortunate because this is going to cost him a lot of money if this is the case. I sure hope he had some insurance policy of some sorts. Oh, you think he would? I mean, like I said, nothing's confirmed yet. Um, but enough to say that there are rumors out there would mean that there's at least an injury of some sort, I'm imagining, that doesn't just pop up out of nowhere. Um I was also, I wasn't told there. I don't have any source. My source is Twitter um, and the rest of the social media world blowing up about it. I uh, was told just a non-contact injury. A lot of those ACL tears are. Uh, like I said, nothing confirmed just yet, and you just got to hope for the best. But uh, not only a blow to Oklahoma State if this does come true, but a blow to Tylen Wallace as well. Uh, and, and, I mean, you know, he was. you you think he would have been gone after this season, um, but but now does he still test the draft waters or does he come back and prove his stock? You have to wonder. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because uh, his stock would certainly fall uh, a bit. Uh, he would not be a first-round pick, you can imagine, with a torn ACL coming in. And at the same time, don't you risk something coming back as well after already suffering that injury? So some tough decisions are going to have to be made for Wallace and uh, regards to his future. Oklahoma State, a very confusing team, to say the least. This bunch uh, has not won back-to-back games under Mike Gundy in over two years now in the Big 12, back-to-back Big 12 games. Um, good performance on the road. Uh, good, you know, very good job by Spencer Sanders and company. The defense stepped up a bit, but Tom with his Oklahoma State team, I like the win. That's a quality win. I just don't know what I'm going to see week to week from this team. They are so hard to figure out. Yeah, you're telling me this. That's coming from you. you I mean, talk to you know, as a fan's perspective, it's exhausting. I mean, you show up. Uh, and, and go to the first three games, you know, and they look, you know, Oregon State's not the best team, but they look promising. It looked like this offense was really going to pop this year, and they surprised all of us. Uh, you know, go in, lose to Texas, 
uh, come out of that and, and get a win. You know, we think, okay, quality K-State win, beat K-State. K-State goes on to drop the next two. Uh, and then maybe, yeah, I, I believe it's two or maybe three. Uh, and then they end up beating OU. And so you're like, okay, wishy-washy on the wins here. Uh, go drop to Texas Tech. Embarrassing. I mean, that was one of the most embarrassing games. And then fall apart against Baylor after you play a solid first half, only to go into Ames, Iowa, and defense shows up like it did in the previous week against Baylor, pick off Brock Purdy three times in the fourth quarter, and solidify a win in Ames. It's like, oh, my gosh. I don't understand it. Right. And when they take on TCU this Saturday, I have no idea what's going to happen because I feel like it's the same thing with TCU. Everything we just said about OSU, Tom, I feel like you could say about TCU. Max Dugan or Duggan, I still haven't learned what his name is, whatever it is. He's up and down every single week. That defense is is good, it seems like, but uh, the offense you know, is hard to figure out. I mean, TCU and OSU, this to me, I feel like, is one of those games, I, I haven't seen the line on this, but if you're looking to make bets and everything, this is one I stay away from because these are two very bipolar football teams. Yeah, there's no way in hell I'm betting on this game. Uh, I, I mean, I'll be shaking in my boots watching it because you don't even know what you're going to get. I mean, OSU could come out flat, TCU could blast them. They, OSU could come out blazing, and TCU be flat. And they could both be way. flat. Right, and it could be just a toilet bowl. Or they could both be on point and be a damn shootout. Yeah, it's uh, it's very confusing to uh, say the least. Texas, they lost to TCU. The uh, Horns are at five and three, and there's already some Texas folks calling for Tom Herman to be fired, which is just silly. Um, I mean, they lost eight starters from a year ago. They've lost another eight guys to injury this year. They've been banged up. I mean, that's just simply what it comes down to. This Texas team, when they're healthy, is a decent football team. They came in, came within a whisker of beating LSU at the beginning of the season. So I don't fault Tom Herman. This is football. That happens sometimes where uh, you lose players that way and, and things don't go your way and you have a lot of misfortune. We were talking just a couple weeks ago, Tom, that uh, Sam Ellinger is carrying this team on, on his back at this point. For him to lead them to 5-3, and three, I think they're doing just fine. That Considering the circumstances, and I know that it's not ideal for Texas and all their unrealistic expectations and everything, considering what has gone on with them this year, I think that they're kind of right where they should be at, at this point in the year. Yeah, I mean, considering especially all the uh, injuries on defense, and I mean, even some on offense, it's been – tough it kind of reminds me of the year that scott brooks got fired for you know pretty much having an injured team uh i don't think they wouldn't do that to tom herman the buyout would be too much uh to even justify that uh especially with the injuries but uh it does i mean you know being if you want to go down to the fandom we know how much all of us really don't like texas it makes you smile just a little bit like a ha texas isn't back uh, I mean, they have shown promise. Uh, they just got the injury bug, and there's usually one Big 12 team that that happens to, and this year that, that was Texas. And it's the nature of the beast. It goes that way sometimes, and Texas is going to be just fine next year. They'll be right back contending again. Um, but it looks like that their chances of playing the Big 12 title game, they're going to need some help of, of some sorts because right now, and as we're recording this, Baylor's 
taking on West Virginia, but I expect Baylor to win at home against West Virginia. Um, if Baylor wins that game, then we're talking about Baylor at 5-0 and in the Big 12, OU behind them at 4-1, and and then Iowa State, Texas, K-State, and TCU all at two losses. OSU and West Virginia – OSU would be at three, West Virginia would be at four, along with KU and Texas Tech. With that being said, Tom, is Baylor – in the driver's seat, do you like their chances to make the Big 12 title game now? Are you finally buying in that the Bears uh, could be in this Big 12 championship? I mean, it's hard not to with the way that Texas, you know, completely faltered. I mean, Baylor has OU and Texas left, and have they played KU? Uh, they have not, no. That's their final game of the regular season. So KU, Texas, OU, and TCU. And Okay, so, you know, a pretty tough slate. They play West Virginia this week. I think they get that win. Uh, they have OU at home. Yeah. Uh, do they have Texas at home as well? They do. And they and travel they to Fort Worth TCU and Lawrence. Fort Worth. Okay, so, honestly, I would rather play, you know, they have that's the favorable – that's kind of favorable there. Uh, I mean, you'd rather have OU at home, and you'd probably rather have Texas at home. Uh, and then you take your chances on the road in Lawrence and take your road chances on the road in Fort Worth and stadium, you know, holds 40,000 or less people. Well, uh, so it's not going to be that loud. And you, TCU's not, at least probably not in the past couple seasons, known for a loud stadium or a place that you might not want to play. Uh, so it is favorable for Baylor right now. I'm bought in. Uh, they go out and take care of business against West Virginia, and then you look forward to – I guess it would be TCU, right next, uh, and and after that you got OU. If you can come out unscathed against West Virginia and TCU, uh, and and say OU wins their name or you know wins against Iowa State, I wouldn't doubt that uh, game day might be in Waco. Yeah, and wouldn't that be a story considering what they've been through uh, the last several years? And I'm looking at this Baylor situation. Let's say they give one up against OU. I would pick them in their other four games. I would pick them to beat right. West Virginia, TCU, Texas, and KU. Um, and I, I think they could all be close games, but I would not say that Baylor is not going to win those games. So I think the Bears are in good shape to make the Big 12 championship game. And if you're an OU fan right now, Baylor is your best friend because OU does not have any quality non-conference wins at this point in time. Now, it's not their fault that UCLA wasn't very good this year uh, or that Houston you know, disappointed and such. I mean, they, they tried to schedule uh, a couple tough non-conference games, but um, those didn't necessarily work out. Those teams didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And so with OU uh, needing some help, Baylor right now, if you're, a, if you're a Baylor fan or an OU fan and you're trying to make the college football playoff or the New Year's Six, you know, whatever it may be, right now you both would like a circumstance where OU comes in with only that one loss and Baylor stays undefeated, and then all of a sudden we have the game of the year in the Big 12 and then possibly a rematch a couple weeks later in the Big 12 championship. If you would have told me at the beginning of the season it would have been OU, Baylor, and the Big 12, I would have said you're crazy. I would have said you got OU right, uh, but no one I didn't. I don't think it, it may be a Baylor fan, a hardcore Baylor fan that saw this coming. But even then, 
almost Cinderella-esque. And I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like that's disrespectful to Baylor, uh, considering the previous years. Uh, it is kind of Cinderella-esque. And Matt Rule, uh, they go in and they, if they go and make it to the Big 12 championship game, I think Matt Rule should be coach of the year. Maybe so. Um, that certainly would be quite the uh, statement if uh, they can find a way and get there and do that. But uh, we'll see what happens as far as that goes. Let's move on uh, to the National Football League. We mentioned Matt Moore stepped in for Patrick Mahomes as the uh, Chiefs fell to the Packers 31-24 to on Sunday Night Football last week. Matt Moore played fine. He's not the reason why the Chiefs lost to Green Bay on Sunday night of last week. He did his job, did what he was supposed to do. It was the defense that really let him down. It was LaShawn McCoy with that fumble late in that game. Matt Moore's fine. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is practicing again. He's practicing with first-teamers again. And so there's a decent chance that he's going to play this weekend against Minnesota. He said that if it were a playoff game, he would have played last week. Um, Listen, I want to see Patrick play as much as anybody out there does. But I don't think it's smart to rush Patrick back at this point in time. Matt Moore, against a very good Green Bay team, proved that he is capable, that he can get the job done. You're taking out a Minnesota team this week that's coming in playing their best football of the year right now. Kirk Cousins was just named NFC Player of the Month. I get that. Uh, you got other games with uh, with Houston uh, coming up as well as the Chargers and such here. I think Matt Moore, as I've said all along, if you gave Patrick four games off, he can go 2-2. Two and two. You're still in position to win your division, and you're still in position to contend for one of the top two seeds in the AFC, if that's the case. And, uh, I mean, there could be long-term repercussions if Patrick Mahomes gets re-hurt again, if you throw him out there too quickly here. So, Tom, it, it appears to me that the Chiefs are not listening to what I'm saying, but if that's how they feel – um, you know, it, it's just one of those circumstances. They're going to have to accept the consequences if something is going to happen. They are putting him at risk of some sorts, even if Patrick is getting back quicker than we anticipated. Credit where credit's due, I get that, but um, I, I don't. I just don't think you can be too uh, overly cautious in this case. Right, and it's not like they play in the NFC North. It's not like they play in the NFC West. Uh, you know, this is not a competitive division by any means. I mean, the closest team is obviously the Chargers and the Raiders and the Broncos. And, I, I mean, as long as you win the division, you get in, get a, a healthy Patrick Mahomes for the playoffs, you know. I mean, yeah, you want home field, but at the same time, even with Patrick Mahomes, I believe they've already lost two at home with him. Um, so it's like, okay, well, you know, if, if – you know, you want home field advantage, but at the same time, before you go for that, take care and make sure that your guy, your number one guy that's going to end up winning you the games in the playoffs is healthy and, and worry about that when the time comes. I mean, you're they're not going to miss the playoffs. It's in the AFC West. It's not. There's no way in hell that the Chargers or the Raiders are going to outlast the Kansas City Chiefs for the AFC West titles, and it's not going to happen. Matt Moore, a Matt Moore-led Chiefs team, would beat the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Broncos. And if for whatever reason, if Matt Moore just finally hits the fan, Chad Henney is supposed to be back within a week or two as well. 
Um, there's ways to work around this. I think the Chiefs are going to be fine with Matt Moore. It appears to be the direction they're going to go is uh, with this uh, with with bringing back Patrick. The biggest concern is still the defense with the Chiefs. Um, you know, getting Sammy back and you getting the offensive line, some of those guys healthy. Those are all good steps. The Chiefs' offense is just fine. The defense has some real issues. They cannot stop the run still. Aaron Jones played good in that second half. They got him involved in the in the receiving game. Um, we also saw that the Packers were able to manage clock and do a good job. I still think it was a terrible decision by Andy Reid to punt on that fourth down. Uh, you know, basically giving Aaron Rodgers control to win that game or not of some sorts. When I look back at that one, but you know, whether it's Minnesota this week, who's got you know a Pro Bowl running back and Dalvin Cook or some of these other teams to deal with. If you can run the ball against Kansas City, if you can wear out clock, anyone has a chance to beat these guys because uh, that is the weakness right now for the Chiefs, and they have shown no signs that they have improved in that regard so far at this point in the season. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and just thinking back on the previous teams they played, Dalvin Cook is going to be the best running back they've seen this year so far. Uh, so it is imperative that the Chiefs figure out something. Uh, either if they've already figured out, or if they haven't, they've got you know two days uh, to figure out how to game plan. I would much rather uh, let Kirk Cousins have the ball for a little bit longer than you know to let Dalvin Cook run all over you. All right. Yeah. I mean, Kirk Cousins. I know that he was you know player of the month and everything, but he's so up and down. It seems. If I'm the Vikings, Tom, if I'm Mike Zimmer and company game planning for for uh, Kansas City, I'm telling Kirk Cousins, just don't make mistakes, manage the game, let Dalvin win this game for you, and they'll be in good shape. Uh, I mean, I think that's the best way. I, I don't necessarily still buy this Minnesota team just yet. Uh, that four-game stretch, you beat a bad Giants team, an average Lions team, an Eagles team that was banged up, and a Washington team that's one of the worst teams in the league. It was a good stretch, but they didn't really play anybody that great uh, in that run. So I know that you know Cousins has communicated with his receivers better. They're you know on better point and such. But that stretch, they didn't play anybody in that stretch. So yes, credit where credit's due for them playing well. Then, um, but. If I'm Mike Zimmer, I still put the brakes on Kirk Cousins and everything that uh, don't try to be a hero too much this week. Right, of course not. And and it's not taken away from Kirk Cousins. It's just it is what it is. I mean, at the same time, you do have Thielen and Diggs, uh, two of the top receivers, in my opinion, in the league. Um, so, I mean, he does have the weapons, and they probably make Kirk Cousins looks a little bit better than he really would be to say if you put him on the Dolphins. Um, but I mean, at this point, you you got to think, hey, go with your strengths. You got a Kansas City team whose offense isn't as banged up. You want to hold on to the ball, though, still, because there is still people like Travis Kelsey, Hardman, uh, who you have to still recognize that just because their quarterback's a second string doesn't mean they still don't have weapons, and he you know can't get them to him. But for for this for this Minnesota Vikings team, you recognize that Kansas City's offense is just as good as yours, but you got a little bit better defense laid by, who is it, Xavier Rhodes and 
uh, you know, some other key players on right. the defense. You you tell your defense to step up, realize that you are playing Matt Moore and not Patrick Mahomes. Uh, don't make mistakes uh, if you're Kirk Cousins and and run Dalvin Cook like he's going out of style. Absolutely, absolutely. We mentioned the Packers and how well they played in that win against the Chiefs. Aaron Jones rushed the ball really well. He's coming along. Aaron Rodgers played great. That defense is good. That's the best offensive line Rodgers has had some in quite some time. Matt LaFleur is doing a really good job there in Green Bay. New Orleans, they got Drew Brees back last week and had a decisive win against Kyler Murray in the Arizona Cardinals. And what a stretch for Teddy to go undefeated as the starter in place for Breeze. And now they have definitely a backup quarterback that they can trust in Teddy Bridgewater. So with that being said, Tom, I think it's pretty clear they're the top two teams in the NFC. Who do you think is the better team between the two right now? Or is it pretty even right now? It's okay to say they're even. um, But is there a team you would give the edge to between one of those two? You know, I think you're. You know, if you want to put them head on head, I think it's so close, in my opinion. And I, you might agree here too. I think the Packers win at Lambeau, and I think the Saints win in New Orleans. Yeah, so they are even. I'm with you. I think that uh, it it would come down to who has the ball last. You know, who gets a turnover of some sorts. Uh, there's just not separation between those two teams right now, and and I'm not complaining about that by any means. I think it's just. It goes to show uh, that New Orleans backed up the incredible year they had a year ago, and Green Bay made some great changes to uh, be back in contention once again. It says a lot about the uh, the coaches they have. Oh, of course it does. And I mean, obviously Sean Payton's no scrub by any means, but uh, and you kind of knew that this was going to come out of him, but it was surprising with Teddy Bridgewater. I think they ought to give him some side money at the end of the year if it ends up working out in their favor. I think they should give him some side money anyway. Um, and it, but for Matt Lafleur, I mean, I, I mean to come in and do this, and for a Green Bay team that you know kind of seemed, uh, you, as far as like team morale goes, and and the previous year, and, and even the year before that, just not the same team to come in and just kind of pick them up by their bootstraps, and you know get Aaron Rodgers back on track, and looks like the old Aaron Rodgers that we knew and loved. Uh, I mean, credit where credit's due. He's, I mean, he's killing it. Yeah, credit for where uh, credit's due for sure. Uh, no doubt about that. The uh, Patriots, they take on the Ravens this week. That's one of our uh, pick'em games coming up later on in the show. The Patriots, as good a start that they've had to this year, and, I mean, they've looked really good starting out 8-0. This Patriots team has not been tested they opened up the year against a healthy Pittsburgh team, which they dominated, but Pittsburgh has turned out to be you know worthless at this point uh, based on the way they've played. And the rest of the year, it's been cupcake after cupcake. It, it feels like that they're playing a non-conference college football schedule of some sorts um, based on what we've seen from New England. Now you take on this Ravens team, and, Tom, this Ravens defense is legit. I mean, they got some – they got some dudes on this uh, Ravens team. Um, I would say that the Patriots are going to be tested this week, but Lamar Jackson has been so up and down. Uh, you have to think that Belichick is going to come in with quite the game plan ready for uh, the Ravens. I-, I would guess, and and I'm not going to give my pick here yet, but that 
this game is not going to be won, actually, by Tom Brady. If New England's going to win this game, it's going to be the defense and how they scheme for Lamar Jackson, I think, would give them the best chance to win this game on the road. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, I mean, New England, you know, while they are, you know, best record in the league, undefeated, they, you know, you, you hit it the nail on the head. They haven't necessarily been tested, and this is their first, you know, team that's like, hey, this team is a team that can make the playoffs. This is a team that we can face later in the playoffs. Uh, Belichick's so good that, I mean, they'll have a game plan for Lamar, I'm guessing, unless, you know, he just plays out of his mind. They're just going to limit him for sure. Uh, and, and then, you know, for Tom Brady, it's about, it sounds like blasphemy to even say, but almost like the same way like with Kirk Cousins, just, hey, don't mess it up. Just go be very methodical, go down, you score more points than them, and you're going to win the ball game. Uh, it's not like, you know, Baltimore is that big of a threat, but they did just add Marcus Peters. Uh, they do have a very solid defense. They're not a bad team by any means, and that's also a team that they could later see in the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, this is Patriots' first big test. I'm not going to give my pick out either, but, uh, I mean, just the way we've talked about it, you could probably tell, you could probably guess. <laughs> I haven't seen the line yet, though. Right, right. We'll, uh, we'll get to that coming up later on. How about the Bears uh, last week? Had every opportunity to win that game against the Chargers. Uh, we saw uh, Matt Nagy call a timeout to set up a last-second field goal, um, and they ended up missing that one. They lose 17-16. to This week they play the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Eagles, who might have the most talented offense in the NFC, they're four and four. Chicago is three and four. And this might be the contender elimination game right here. If you lose this game, now they I'll say this. There's a caveat to this. The NFC North, or uh, NFC East rather, the NFC East is so bad that the Eagles might make the playoffs winning that division with a nine and seven record. But I think that the loser of this game, we can officially write off any chance of them being a serious threat. Chicago, Mitch Trubisky, um, he did not take the steps in improvement that I thought he would. He is not a starting quarterback in the National Football League. He looked horrendous last week. Um, you know They have not put the playmakers around him to succeed either uh, by that stretch. That Chicago offense is bad. Philadelphia, I think, is, as I mentioned, very talented offensively. That defense has been so banked up. That secondary is in bad shape. Um, eventually, things have to come together before this train goes off the tracks for this Philadelphia Eagles bunch. Um, it it's, feels weird saying this in the regular season, but I feel like this is a must-win game for both these teams. Is that a reach? No, I don't think it's a reach at all. I, I mean, for the Bears, I mean, this is a legitimately do or die. Uh, because at this point, I don't know that you catch the Packers. Um, and, and if you lose this, I think you kind of run the risk of not being able to catch the Vikings, so that eliminates a, a potential wild card spot for you. Uh, but, and then for the Eagles, yeah, sure, you might end up, uh, could win the division at 9-7, and seven, but, uh, I mean, this just puts you even, you know, doesn't do you any service uh, to battle out with Dal you know, with Dallas because it could come down to one game with Dallas. Um, so, you know, and already being down one in the head-to-head -head with Dallas. So, 
Uh, I, I really do think that it is do or die for both of these teams. I mean, less die for the Eagles for obvious reasons uh, and more do for the Bears, uh, if anything, just because, uh, I mean, what a what a almost a, not an embarrassment, what a letdown from last season. They looked, you know, pretty much poised to make a run for the Super Bowl and then obviously the field goal kick and then, you get a little bit of that field goal action last week. I mean, that if you're a Bears fan, that's got to hurt. Um, so, I mean, bad season so far for the Bears. Probably not what they expected, but not done yet. But if they do lose against the Eagles there, I believe just must shut her down. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, the 49ers, uh, as we're recording this, taking on the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Even if the Niners somehow fall and get handed their first loss of the year. That game in London last week against the uh, the Panthers told me everything I need to know about this uh, San Francisco 49ers team. This team is legit. 7-0. and That defense is terrific. Kyle Allen, who had played really good up until that point, they picked off three times. Uh, the Niners, um, I would say, Tom, the two most surprising teams in the league this year, one, it's got to be the Niners, and the other, it's got to be the Indianapolis Colts. Um, the Colts, I didn't. if you would have told me that with Andrew Luck, they'd be 5-2 and two right now, everyone would have taken that and said, okay, the Colts are for real. The fact they've done this with Jacoby Bursett at a much cheaper price tag than Andrew Luck, and for the Niners to be coming back with Jimmy G off of his season-ending injury a year ago, um, I think both these teams are for real, and they're here to stay uh, as a contenders here in the National Football League. Yeah, I mean, if you would have told me, you could have told me that after Jacoby Brissett came in, that you could have told me the Colts were two and five, and I would have been like, yeah, that, that's it's probably about right. Uh, so for him to be five and two with Jacoby Brissett is super impressive, and it's as far as the Niners go, uh, did not expect this whatsoever. Um, and the rest of the NFC West is kind of like, oh, no, uh, because you expected them to be number three, obviously behind the Cardinals, or in front of, right in front of the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I... So kind of flipped the script on the NFC West, did the Niners there, but they do look really impressive. They do. They do. Uh, last thing in regards to the uh, National Football League here. The uh, Browns, uh, they take on the Broncos this week. Uh, Baker Mayfield uh, against New England. I mean, he wasn't terrible. It wasn't in his worst game, but he didn't play necessarily good either. 194 yards, one touchdown, one interception, 65% completion percentage. And he had an exchange with the uh, media earlier this week, kind of a meltdown of some sorts. Um Man, things are going bad in Cleveland right now, and um, Freddie Kitchens, he better do something differently here because with all the talent that's there, um, they don't have time to be wasting. Freddie Kitchens was not asked to just learn on the job. It was to be ready to go. And uh, we heard O.J. Simpson come out and say they need to go get Jim Harbaugh and you know some other suggestions of some sorts here. Um, I think Baker – is going to get at least one more year um, to try to figure this out. And, uh, I mean, I, I would think that 
right now the pressure is on Freddie Kitchens more than anybody to try to get this thing going. Yeah, it is. And, and for the high hopes they had coming into the season, you know, Pittsburgh down and out, losing the the three Bs, and, you know, maybe the Ravens not being so hot, and, and obviously the Bengals being the dumpster fire that they are. Uh, a lot of high hopes coming into the season. Uh, a little bit overhyped. Um, thought they would be a little bit better than they are doing right now. Uh I wouldn't call it a must win for the Browns, but for team morale sakes and for Freddie Kitchen's sakes, I think you got to go out and beat the Denver Broncos this week. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, one more point I'll make in regards to the NFL, Tom. This is not in our pickums this week, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and say this now. I think the Dolphins are going to win a game. I have them beating the Jets at home this Sunday and end the uh, – the losing streak and the tanking goes in kind of the wrong direction. They actually win a game. Right. Maybe it's the swag that Aqib Tlaib is bringing them this week, even though he won't be on the field. Right. Maybe they're going to snatch uh, Le'Veon's chain uh, in a, in a, you know, a figurative sense. And, uh, you know, that big win for the Jets over Dallas uh, will be washed away uh, with the loss to the, the worst team in the NFL. No, oh, wouldn't that be I can hilarious. see it happening. I'm, I'm not going to say it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, uh, but I could see it happening. I'll go out on that limb, and partially because we I don't. I want to see Bengals versus Dolphins. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? What if. I think it would be so much more interesting than uh, some of these games that we have this season if we just had like a, a mini tournament of the worst teams in the league. Put the Jets, the Dolphins, Washington, Cincinnati, like in a four team playoff and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and whoever wins, uh, you know, worst four teams, the the winner of that four team ends up getting the first round pick. The loser gets the fourth. Right, have to play for the uh, the pick seating of I some sorts. It. I think it should be implemented immediately. That would be better than the lottery by far. Yes, I think that we're would be something. interesting. By oh yeah, yeah, it would be the ratings would be insane. Yes, I'm all in. We uh, we'll propose watch, it. Well, yeah, watch Andy Dalton try to win for his replacement. Right? Oh, my gosh. The effort and all that, too, would be uh, hilarious because some guys would be playing for their jobs. Some guys would be playing like they just don't care at all. Get me out of here as soon as possible. Um, I would love it. It would be fantastic. A lot more to come here on the Jones Report today. College basketball set to start here in just a few days with the Champions Classic. So let's go ahead and talk to Jared Sutton about that. Also, the return of KU and MU. We'll break that down and more as Jared Sutton joins us next. Plus, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week and picks against the spread coming up here in just a few minutes as well. You're listening to the Jones Report. Joining us now is Midwest Regional Scout for the New Orleans Pelicans, also analyst for the SEC Network, covering college basketball at large, and he is also a former Mizzou Tiger as well. It is Jarrett Sutton who joins us right now. Jarrett, always good to catch up with you, man. Uh, first off, congrats on the move to the New Orleans Pelicans. What a, a terrific organization that group is, and uh, some exciting times with Zion in town now. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Tyler. It's, uh, it's good to be with you again. It's fun to be talking basketball again um but uh yeah i appreciate the kind words looking forward to the year um it's it's been a um you know a good start in this new role coming over to, to new orleans and really looking forward to, to the year ahead covering big 12 again covering big 10 again and then 
Um, obviously, on the on the Pelican side, getting healthy and and uh, hopefully making a run at this thing. It's a loaded West, but um, you know I think we're we're in a good place as far as our roster and, and what we're doing moving forward. No doubt, no doubt about that. That's exciting, and glad to see that you're a part of that. And uh, I'm sure you're excited about the news that came out just uh, a week or two ago now of the. Uh, MUKU rivalry coming back that uh, the six-year contract will begin next season. Uh, what were your initial takeaways from uh, this all coming together? Well, I'm excited about it. I mean, obviously having played in the, the border war rivalry uh, and, and looking back on 2012 um, and just the hostility around that, that year with the rivalry and, and how it played out with two just historic games, one at Mizzou Arena and one at Allen Fieldhouse. I think both Fan bases can say that was quite a memory, um, you know, for, for Mizzou, Marcus Denman um, having a 9-0 run on his own late, and then obviously Kansas coming back from 19 down and, and winning an overtime at Allen Fieldhouse. Um, you know, those games are, are meaningful games just because you, you remember those forever. And um, I almost feel just, just fortunate to be a part of those games, and I'm, I'm happy for the players because they'll get to experience what it's like to play in a rivalry game like Mizzou and Kansas, and, and there really is nothing – Nothing like it. Um, you know, I had a chance to catch up with Tyshawn Taylor um, not that long ago, and, and Tyshawn was on that Kansas team in 2012. Obviously, they went to a national championship game appearance, had just a special run, and it felt like we were neck and neck with them the entire season, and ultimately we were upset in the tournament. It's where the, the cookie crumbles in the tournament sometimes, but um, it was two great teams, and I, I just feel, you know, at, the, at this time now and, and hearing that it, it came together, I, I think it's, it's long overdue, but at the same time, from a Mizzou perspective, I've, I've totally been understanding of, of where Kansas has, has sat all along. I mean, we left the Big 12, and for me, being a Kansas City kid, growing up in Kansas City, I grew up with the Big 12 and, and watched so many historic games at Kemper Arena and, and the Big 12 rivalry. My first college basketball game was actually Kansas and Missouri at Hearn Center back in the day, and I just remember falling in love with not just college basketball, but the rivalry at that point, because it was just so special and so unique, um, and, and I really think that's what it comes down to. I think this is great for both institutions. I think it's great for both fan bases, but I really think it's just great for college athletics in general, and I think it's the start of hopefully you know, a long, obviously six years on the basketball hardwood, but hopefully maybe some other sports can follow suit as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. I would love to see a football series uh, come together and some other things I think it would be great to see. Jarrett, um, you know, hearing from the KU side of things, we know how this has played out over the last several years that, you know, for the first couple of years, KU played it off like they didn't really need Mizzou. And then when the showdown for relief came around, everybody was excited to want that rivalry again. For Mizzou fans, they, it's, it seems like, have been wanting this since day one. They have really wanted this series to continue throughout these years. What's been kind of the feedback you've gotten from that end of things as far as bringing this thing back together? I mean, they've really wanted this for quite some time as a collective unit. There's really nobody from Missouri, it seems, that doesn't want this to happen. Yeah, and I think from a Missouri standpoint, I, I don't think there's anything you can look at as, as not wanting this to come back. And, I, you know, I've told people before, it, it's felt somewhat like a breakup, you know, where it's, it's a little bit hostile and, you know, deep down, you know, you love each other. There's a past history there. There's a long, extensive history there. You both tried to move on, but things just keep pulling you back. And, you know, the other side's asking around and, and asking about, you know, you guys getting back together and playing again. And, you know, one left, right? And, and so the other has a little bit of a bad taste. So it's, it's just kind of been that type of story. And I, I always tell Mizzou fans, you know, to respect it, appreciate it, and be grateful for it if it ever, is, if it ever does come back. And, and here it is. And I, 
I think Missouri fans are, are on board with that. I think they're very much excited to have it be in Kansas City, obviously from a Missouri standpoint, playing in the bragging rights against Illinois every year and, and having that in St. Louis, such a special game, uh, with the arena actually divided half and half. And I know that's not going to be the case for Mizzou and Kansas. That would hopefully be kind of a long-term down the road, uh, maybe a you know, change that is made long-term to have it at, at Sprint Center and really maybe try to divide it in half. But it, it makes total sense right now. Um, I think Mizzou had to give a little bit uh, starting out to make this happen. I, I think you know, Kansas getting the first crack at Sprint Center, having it a home game, and then also playing in Allen Fieldhouse, I think it's the right move. I think it's the right decision. Um, and I, I, I guess most importantly, I, I just love it for Kansas City. And I think from a Mizzou perspective, they, they've always wanted to kind of have that feel of basketball uh, back as far as a rivalry is concerned. It, it's been a, an adjustment for Mizzou fans with the SEC. I, I think we've, we've had a little bit of time to kind of understand the SEC and, and understand – what you know, rivals might be there in the SEC play, but there's really nothing that compares to Mizzou and Kansas, and and we've said that all along, and and we've always, I think, from a, from a Missouri standpoint, wanted this to happen, and and here we are, and I know Mizzou fans are, are very excited about it, very hopeful that it's just the start of something that's very much long term, and and something that we can continue to do down the road, because I think it's just too good for for both schools, and I think it's ultimately, you know, from a from a TV standpoint, from a ticket standpoint, merchandise. Uh, concessions, all that, it, it, it just makes a big difference, I, th- I think, as, as far as what we're looking at long-term. And, and ultimately for sports fans, I think it's just great to have this rivalry back. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, I agree with you. This would be great to see. And I love the setup of playing in Kansas City, in Lawrence, in Columbia. It's never going to be like it was before when you played twice a year, but still great to be back nonetheless. Last thing on this, Jarrett, you you mentioned with you being a Kansas City kid, with growing up around this thing, what are some of your specific memories of watching this game growing up or maybe playing in it over the years uh, at your time at Mizzou? What are some of your favorite things that come to mind when you think of these two? Yeah, I think my, my first memory that comes to, to mind is, is in seventh grade. I went to see Kansas play um, at Missouri, and it was uh, at Hearn Center. I think it was the March game, so I think it was when, you know, after Mizzou had already played at Allen Fieldhouse, and Mizzou had the last, last regular season conference home game and it was senior day against Kansas. Uh, and I remember specifically waiting outside to get into Hearn Center, and I kept hearing all these boos, and I could see some people up at the top of Hearn Center. And if it, for those that don't remember, Hearn Center had kind of a catwalk area um, that, that fans could walk at the top. But were, there was this, you know, a, a big group of Kansas fans. Well, come to find out it was Kirk Heinrich's parents that were walking into uh, to Hearn Center, and I, I think there were some things thrown at the catwalk, and I just thought, this is something I've, I've never really been a part of. I had been to Arrowhead Stadium, you know, I had been to different sporting events, but it was I was just in awe. And then once I got into um, Hearn Center, it was an hour and 15 minutes before the game, and, and the student section were packed. It was loud. Uh, that game, Kansas ended up winning. Aaron Miles had a big three-point shot from the top of the circle on a busted play. That ended up winning the game for Kansas. It was a great game um, all in all, but Kansas ended up winning that game. Keith Langford was, was really good in that game. And, and I, I think that just kind of started it for me. And, and then when I look back at the memories that I have uh, playing against Kansas in my four years, I mean, obviously I remember beating Kansas um, at Mizzou Arena in, in 2009 uh, when Sharon Collins missed a couple of free throws and we made some plays late. And we had the court storm. And it's the only time I ever experienced a court storm as a, 
as a player. And uh, that was an unbelievable feeling. It was like it was sort of the the, the first time Mizzou basketball was back under Mike Anderson because the year before they had a, a lot of issues off the floor. And uh, so I, I think to be a part of that turnaround in 08 and 09, ultimately going to the Elite Eight, um, that Kansas win at home was, was a huge deal at that time. Um, and I, I mean, I, I don't I feel like I, when I look at the four years, playing at Allen Fieldhouse is one of the more special memories I have every single year. I mean, everybody's going to talk about us losing up 19 at Allen Fieldhouse, but I really have great memories going to that place every year. Um, I will say my parents went to Allen Fieldhouse my freshman year and never came back. Uh, I, think, I think that did it for them. Um, but it, it was a, it was a great, you know, memory just because it was, it, there's nothing like playing at Allen Fieldhouse. It's one of the more special environments in all of college basketball it still is today. Uh, I had a lot of friends that I went to high school with that ended up going to KU and would always, they would always sit in the student section and try to get my attention before the game. Um, and those type of memories, just little things like that. And, and then ultimately to finish playing and be good friends with Connor Tehan and, uh, Travis Relaford and, and see all these former Kansas guys that were part of the, the Kansas program when I was at Missouri and to just have that mutual respect for one another, knowing we had some battles back in our day. Um, I think all of it encompasses just how special it means to me and how you know excited I am that it's, that it's back and, and that other players are going to have that opportunity as well. No question. No question about that. We're talking to Jared Sutton right now. Uh, and Jared, uh, moving on now, looking at this year's team, uh, starting with this uh, this Kansas team, coming off uh, the end of the streak, getting eliminated in the second round. Those were things that we're not accustomed to talking about when it comes to Kansas basketball this year. For So for this team, if anything else, right from the jump, is to move past what they experienced last year, that they got to find a way to get over that hump, that this is a much different feeling going into a season uh, that they're walking into than we've seen from a Kansas team in quite some time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, uh, I think you hit it on the head, right? It, I think it's finally time you know, to, it, first of all, what an incredible run that was for Kansas. I mean, I, I, given the fact that they won it every year I was in Missouri, really hard to do. I mean, those are, those are some really good, good years of Big 12 basketball. And even after I, I've left, they've, they've won the league when there were some really good teams that were a part of the league. And so I, it's been an incredible run, one of the best in, in all of college basketball uh, over the time that they've won the Big 12 championships. But I, I think I think if you ask Bill Self, I mean, I, I think he's – it's sort of like every year. Every year's different. Every year is unique. Um, I don't think you change your, your process. I don't think you change how you prepare. I don't think you change, um, you know, what's gotten you the success you've had. And I think for them it's, it's just moving on. And – focusing on building a new streak and, and ultimately for Kansas, you know, trying to get back to the final four and winning a national championship. Because I think when you look at this roster, they got a lot of bodies, they got depth, they got guard play. Um, they, they have position wise, uh, an ability to be versatile and play multiple lineups. And I think that's really beneficial for, for Bill Self. They get Devon Dotson back. Who's one of the quicker guards in the country. Rim to rim his speed his defensive ability. Uh, is off the charts. And then, um, you know, got a kid that went to my high school, Ochai Baji. I, I'm really excited about him. I know he's worked really hard this offseason and is going to put himself in a position to really be productive, putting the ball on the floor and, and shooting it more consistently. But you get Udoka Azabuke back, and, and that guy has been so good for Kansas. If he can stay healthy, I, I think he will stay healthy. Uh, you get Silvio back, which I think is huge. Silvio can, can really help as far as playing at the four and maybe subbing out playing at the five. You can do different things with him. He's shown an ability to push the ball um, for, for Kansas if they need it in transition, if they're pressured. 
there's a lot of different things that they can do with this lineup. They get Isaiah Moss from Iowa. I know he's a little banged up, but he's, he's a good shooter. He can defend as well. And then they got some young freshmen that I, I think have an opportunity to really, you know, look up to these older players and, and kind of see how things are done, which every, every freshman at Kansas, I feel like, has to go through that. They have to go through the ups and the downs. I think Jalen Wilson is going to be a really talented freshman that can come right in and compete and contribute to this team. And I'm excited for Kansas. I mean, I, I, having getting, having getting an opportunity to see him practice and see some other teams around the country, I, I think they have as good a shot of anybody to really make a run at the Final Four and ultimately try to win a national championship this year. That would be uh, fantastic to see. Uh, Devon Dotson and Ochai Abaji, you mentioned they'll be uh, controlling that backcourt, both coming into their sophomore seasons. Dotson started every game last year. Ochai came in towards the second half of the year after Bill Self pulled the red shirt. Uh, both those guys seem to be good complements to each other. Quentin Grimes uh, not around anymore, so these guys, uh, this, this is going to be a big role for them to, to carry this team and uh, to carry that backcourt, backcourt, especially considering that they don't have the depth at the guard spots that they've had the last couple of years, that uh, we're, we're going to see them play a lot of two big lineups, uh, which we haven't seen from KU a lot, and they'll be certainly dependent on uh, these two guards to kind of lead the way, and Marcus Garrett and Moss in there in between as well uh, to really get things done. Uh, they're going to be called upon a lot uh, throughout this season. Kind of reminds me, Jared, of just a couple of years ago when there was games where Devontae Graham didn't even come out, that he played almost every single minute. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I I think it's interesting when you, when you make that comparison to Devonte. I, I would even you know put Frank Mason in the conversation of a guy that so much was was put on his shoulders, and, and boy did he respond. And you talk about Frank and Devonte being two of the tougher guards that Bill Self has had at Kansas. And uh, I mean, look what Devonte's doing so far right out of the gate in the NBA. I mean, he's, he's off to a great start. I think it speaks a lot a lot to just their their work ethic. Um, you know, two guys that were, were not heavily recruited, that developed at Kansas, that became great guards. And I'll even add to Devontae Graham. Devontae was more of an off-the-ball player when Frank was there. He mostly played the two. And then he got pushed to the point guard position that last year and really handled it very smoothly. It was a smooth transition. He knew he had to do that to show that he could play the point. A lot was asked of him, and, and he answered the call. That's a lot of pressure on a point guard. And I think with, when you when you look at the guard play, and, and you touched on this team, Kansas has a lot of depth. They got a lot of size at the forward position. Um, I, I think that checks out for for Kansas. I think that's going to be a weapon. But I do think when it comes down to the guard play, Ochai has to be really good, and Devon has to be very good. And, and in particular, Devon just being able to play out of the pick and roll, shoot it consistently from the perimeter. He's a great playmaker. He's a great finisher, but. I, I think you know, one of the great qualities Devontae had and Frank Mason had was the ability to finish through contact. They had great body control, and it seemed like they were always laser-focused every night and, and knew, like, hey, I'm going to have to play a lot of minutes. So what? So be it. i got to find a way to get, get the job done. And I think that's just kind of what Bill, Bill Self has instilled in guards. And if you look at Bill's point guards in the, over the past you know, years and, in, and even in his career and his background at Illinois, I mean, that's what you want if you're a point guard. So I think Devon's going to look at this as a great opportunity. He came back for a reason to prove a lot of, a lot of things that, that could maybe help him get to the next level. I think Ochai is the same way. I mean, Ochai jumped on the scene so quick. So much has been talked about the red shirt being lifted and how quick he jumped on the scene. He did hit that freshman wall at the end of the year. But I think he's hungry. I think he knows he's got a lot to prove. I mean, he's a dynamic athlete. He's a two-way player. He can be a great defender for this Kansas team. I think that's another thing that's a benefit to, to Kansas with Devon is how good he is defensively. He is quick. 
He's got great hands. And, and defensively, you know this as well as anybody, Kansas wants to defend and lock you up. They're going to win games and win games ugly and find ways to close games out and get stops. You have to have guys that can lead at the guard position like, like they've done in the past with Frank and Devontae. And I, I think Ochai and, and Devon, number one, I think they're talented enough. But number two, I think they're just as intelligent as some of those former players. I think they got a great chance to step up and lead, which will be new roles for them. And I think they have the opportunity to go do that this year. You know, Jared, you, you and I both know this, that there's been many players over the years that have come through the Bill Self system that were maybe the most talented offensive players on the on the entire team. But if yep. you don't play defense under Bill Self, you won't get minutes, period. You have to play defense to uh, some extent. And uh, I think that both these guys are going to step up defensively if, as far as that goes. When you look at the front court, obviously a lot of talent there. You mentioned getting Doke back from injury after only playing nine games a season ago. Silvio de Souza back after you know, sitting out all of last year. But the way I look at this group, the big question mark, mark I have is, obviously Doke is going to be your center, but... One of the problems we saw was trying to have somebody play alongside Doak, another big of some sorts. And, you know, the space down there is so limited. As good of a talent as they have with McCormick and DeSouza and and others and such, um, it's going to be hard to, to make these guys be able to play together to some degree. The guy that might best suit uh, Doak to play downside with him is, uh, is probably Mitch Lightfoot, I think. It sounds like they're going to redshirt him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's kind of the tough decision to, to be made is is really what what you're going to look at it with Mitch and some of the other role players that are playing at that that position um, in the front court. I do think David McCormick took some good strides last year. I mean, I think one of the things you can look at the Kansas year last year is yeah, they they lost Doak and and that did hurt long term. You also had a lot of guys play a lot of minutes and, and get a lot of got a lot of experience in David McCormick and Mitch Lightfoot. Um, and you do get Silvio back now fully after everything that went on with that situation. And I, I do think Bill Self is looking at this as what's best for this year, what's best for this lineup. Uh, do you want to redshirt Mitch? Do you want to maybe wait and see how this year progresses out? Because who's to say you're not going to need Mitch at some point? I mean, that, that's exactly what happened with Ochai Baji last year. They had to have him at some point in the season. Uh, but it's also dependent on if Mitch wants to do that. Uh, Mitch is the ultimate team player, obviously. He's a guy that's a winner. He's a guy that, that will do anything that's asked of him for big or for small. It doesn't matter the minutes. doesn't matter what Mitch is doing, scoring the ball. He, he just wants to make his presence felt. He's going to play hard. And he's a tough kid. So I'm not surprised to hear about it just because I know Mitch Life would probably do whatever it took to help the, the team, help the coaching staff, and help Kansas basketball get to where it needs, get, get to where it needs to go. But I do think it touches on last year and just David McCormick and his role and how it emerged. And I know David and Doak have been battling throughout the preseason. And I think those guys, iron sharpens iron. And I think it's been good for Doak to, to kind of have those type of battles in practice. And with Silvio back, I think Silvio adds just a totally different dimension. Because I do think Silvio is much improved. I think he's taken the time where he's not been in the lineup and he's not been able to play I think he's been taking the time to mentally get right and to, and to really focus in and you talk about a guy that's been given another chance and, and it's been such a long drawn out process I think he is as hungry as anybody not just at Kansas but in the Big 12 to get on the floor and, and compete and show what he's capable of doing so I think Bill Self is seeing that I think the staff is seeing that and I do think they might have a decision on their hands to make I don't know which way they'll go but they do have some options and I, I think Mitch is, is one of those guys that could fall into that redshirt discussion. 
No question. No question about that. And uh, we heard Bill Self say uh, on Hawk Talk earlier this week that uh, Mitch, if he were to redshirt, that would give him an opportunity to get his master's degree, graduate that in uh, three semesters there. So I'm sure that they'll do what's best for Mitch and the team both uh, to figure that out one way or the other. A few more things uh, here uh, left uh, that that I want to get to, Jared. Uh, You're looking at this roster. We know that there's some guys that are very capable of being all Big 12 guys, whether it's Doak, who's the preseason conference player of the year, Dodson, Ochai, you know, several others. But where do they stack up when it comes to the NBA? Is there real NBA talent, you think, when it comes to this KU roster? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's multiple guys. I don't think it's just Devon and, and Ochai. I think there's there's a lot of guys that could be in this discussion. Um, obviously, Doak, and, and I think Silvio uh, is in that discussion as well. And, and I always put the disclaimer, you know, it, it might not be this year. It, it might be next year or years down the road. I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be now. I mean, I, I feel like we're, we're in an era where a lot of players and a lot of families start to think of what's the quickest way to get to the NBA, and everybody's case is different. Um, I understand the reasoning reason behind that uh, of why athletes and why players, you know, look at that as, as you know, their, their meal ticket and, and a chance to, to get to the league and compete in the NBA. But at the same time, I mean, you're, you're in a, a program like Kansas that's one of the best programs in the country. You've got the best facilities in the country. You've got one of the best fan bases in all of college basketball. Enjoy that moment, right? I mean, enjoy having an opportunity to go compete for a national championship because you won't have those, those, those moments back. And I think a perfect example is Devontae Graham, Frank Mason, you know, these guys that come back that, that are playing at the NBA level, Kelly Oubre, guys that come back to campus and guys that are, are just, you know, that still you know, have Kansas in their blood and they, they want the program to succeed. They're, they're, they always are through and through Kansas Jayhawks, and, and they're in the NBA, and they're there. But if Kansas is special then because of what they accomplished as players in college. So I, I don't think that can be overlooked, is, is appreciating the moment, being in that moment. Because I do think there's a lot of guys that have a future in the NBA or have a future playing professional ball somewhere. Um, but it's, it's definitely one of those things where you, you need to enjoy the moment and work hard and, and show what you're capable of doing at the college game, and, and all that stuff will, will work itself out. I, I, I firmly believe that everything will take care of itself, and, and, and ultimately you'll get to where you want to go if you just stay the course and focus on being in the now. Champions Classic coming up next week to uh, kick off the college basketball season. KU will take on Duke, and then uh, the nightcap will be Kentucky and Michigan State. Uh, we, we saw what Duke did last year with Zion and company uh, going all the way to the Elite Eight. What a terrific season uh, Duke had. Uh, what, what do you think about that matchup coming up next week? Should be fun right from the jump to uh, see these two Blue Bloods get together uh, right from the beginning of the season. Yeah, Champions Classic is, is always just such a, a great way to kick off the college basketball season. Uh, you know, everybody's excited. It's the beginning of the year. You know, a lot can be made of, of one game right out of the gate. I, I would tell people, you know, it, it is just one game and there's still a long way to go. And it's a, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint in the college basketball season. You want to be playing your best basketball at the right times. You, you, you want to be hitting on all cylinders come February once you get into the conference tournament and, you know, I, I think when you look at, at Kansas's matchup, you know, Duke's got, you know, a lot of freshmen that are coming in that are very talented. Uh, Vernon Carey, Cassius Stanley, those guys are, are very good players. Matthew Hurry, obviously. Uh, they got great size, and, and they got guys that, that have an opportunity at the next level as well. Um, but I, I would say, you know, with Duke, you got Trey Jones back. I'm really excited for the Trey Jones-Devon Dotson matchup. Um, and, and I do think, you know, Kansas has the experience. They have the returners. They have guys that, that went through a lot of battles last year and 
for some of these young freshmen at, at Duke, it'll be their first time they've ever been on this type of platform, and, and we'll see how they respond, right? We'll, we'll see what happens when the lights are, are shining brightest. So you, you look at these teams, they've been practicing for so long. Uh, they've, they've maybe had an exhibition here and there. They've had a, maybe a closed-door scrimmage, but they've, they've never had it to where it, it's on. It's regular season. It counts. Everything is there. And you're playing the Madison Square Garden, one of the most historic venues in all of basketball. And uh, what a way to kick off the year. And I, I do like Kansas in this game. Uh, just because I'm going to go with the experience right out of the gate. Uh, but Duke's got a lot of talent. They always do. And uh, they're going to be led by Trey Jones, who I think is a very solid guard. Uh, and they got a, they got some size as well that could compete with Kansas. But ultimately, I like Kansas to, to win next Tuesday. We know about the NCAA allegations and uh, what's going on there and the decision that's uh, going to be made you know, down the line and such. But with all that going on, Jared, do, do you see that – as a problem, as a distraction of some sorts for this team to have this lingering in the background, or do you think that they, they'll be just fine and be able to move along this year without that being an issue of some sorts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a question that's always going to be brought up with uh, with what's going on. I don't think it's going to be any sort of factor. I, I truly don't. I, I think Coach Self and his staff and, and this team, I think they're they're locked in. I think they're engaged. I, I, I don't think they're going to let anything come in the way of, of what's, uh, what's, a, what's in front of them as far as this season. And all that stuff is going to be probably after this season, so there's no reason to have it be a distraction or have it linger. I'm, I know the coaching staffs address that probably closed door. I'm sure that's been in-house, and, and they'll handle that as best they can and, and, and handle it uh, the way they want to handle it. And, and from there, it's, it's moving on. It's focusing on Duke. It's focusing on the season ahead, it's focusing on, on winning a Big 12 regular season championship. And ultimately, it's, it's focused on winning a national championship. But this team, this team has an opportunity to do. I, I know Coach Self will probably say, you know, they're not where they need to be right now. And, and no team really is right now. But they do have the pieces. And they do have the, the personnel. They do have experience. They do have, you know, uh, two great players at the point guard position, one at the center position that can really change a game dynamically. And I think that's what you need in the college game. Um, and they got some pieces around those two that, that can really impact the game on both ends of the floor. And that's really rare. And, and I think they can compete with the Michigan State, they can compete with Duke, they can compete with Kentucky. Um, it'll come down to their shot making. But I don't think anything off the floor is going to come in the way of them having an opportunity to, to compete this year and ultimately try to cha- try to have a chance to win a national championship. Well, that's the news the Kansas fans certainly wanted to hear. Jared, uh, when you look at this Big 12 conference, what are your takeaways uh, from this league? I know it's been so good uh, the last several years with what they've been able to stack up. What do you make of uh, this year's Big 12 and how it compares to other leagues in America? Well, I think Big 12 basketball is always going to be one of the top leagues in America. I, th- I think time and time again, you know, number one, they got great coaches in the league. Uh, that, that cannot be overstated enough. I, I've always been impressed by the, the coaching staff, the, the coaches that obviously last year, when you look at what Chris Beard did at Texas Tech, taking them to a national championship game and, you know, the, the buy-in at Texas Tech, the, the program that, that Coach Beard has developed and you know, Coach Beard and, and Bill Self and their history together. I mean, those are, those are two of the best coaches in the country, uh, and those two those, those two programs are going to compete. Texas Tech has a lot of good good talent. Um, they got young freshmen. Uh, Jemias Ramsey's an exciting player. Uh, you're going to hear that name a lot. He's he's a stud, and and he's got an opportunity to really do something special this year at Texas Tech. I know they're excited about him. And when you look up and down the league, I mean, I, I think Baylor and 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 what Scott Drew has, has built has has been solid. I think he's got some some good players. He's got some returners. 
Um, I know they're excited. They're going to be fully healthy this year, which I think is good. When they get the uh, Tristan Clark back, I, I think that's going to be helpful for them. Um, and, and so I think they got a chance to compete. It's going to be interesting to see what Iowa State does. I mean, they get Tyrese Halliburton back, who's a you know lethal guard. He played so well over the summer for USA basketball, and he's going to be in a different role. And they're, they're, you know, there's, they've lost a lot of guys professionally to, at Iowa State, um, but, but Steve Prom is a terrific coach, and, and Iowa State seems to always be there. You know, come come uh, come February and come March, and especially in the Big Twelve tournament. Um, and then we'll see what Kansas State. You know that you know there's there's another school that had uh, you know an opportunity to compete last year and and tied uh, had a split with the with the Big Twelve championship, and uh, they lost a lot of guys. How will they be? They're they're figuring out new roles. But I, I do like some of their freshmen, and I do think it's a great opportunity for Cartier Jar and Xavier Steve, Xavier Sneed to step up and be in, and be in new roles and, and have an opportunity to to take Kansas State and, and hopefully prove some people wrong. I know they're, they're not really happy with how they were picked in the league, given what they did last year and what they accomplished last year. So I think they're a hungry team. Um, so it, it's a little top-heavy, but I do think there's some teams that are going to some, surprise some people uh, in the middle of the pack. I, I think it's a good league. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma State's excited about what they have returning. I know they've had a little bit of a hiccup uh, with, the, with the suspension again, which I know that they don't want to hear, but they they have a, a good roster and they have some guys returning that that can step up and and maybe make a, a a run to compete at the top of the Big Twelve. We'll see how it plays out, but it's always a fun fun league. And I do think Kansas and, and Texas Tech and Baylor um, and and those type of schools will will be there at the top in the end. Jarrett, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. That flew by. So much information there. Great stuff as always. And uh, we thank you for joining us and look forward to uh, talking again down the line. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me today, Tyler. Thanks so much. Big thanks to Jarrett Sutton for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. Before we get to our Tom Fullery story of the week this week and our picks against the spread, Tom, you saw it. I uh, caused quite the uproar on both uh, Facebook and Twitter this week uh, as I was in defense of Halloween. And I think you share the same sentiment where all these folks out there that take these holidays too seriously like oh that's that's a demonic holiday uh you know all that and you know don't tell tar, don't uh partake in halloween and such like come on how ridiculous is that and you know y- you add in well you know it's got these ties of you know to satan or whatever like does anyone really celebrate halloween in 2019 and do it in any satanic way i've never heard of anybody doing that when it comes to Halloween, I've never met somebody that was that way in, in shape and form. Halloween, if you got a problem with Halloween, you probably should have a problem with every holiday out there because the rest of them are pagan holidays. I mean, you even think about it, like the 4th of July, for example. America was founded by people that started the slavery of people of color and the genocide of Native Americans. And you know what? We accept America for the flaws. She's not perfect. But you know what? We've made her a more perfect union. We're trying to make America better, and we celebrate how far we've come from. With Halloween, um, it's not the holiday that it was of its roots of some sorts. It's an excuse to eat candy and play games. Right. I mean, there any? I mean, if celebrate it the way you want to celebrate it, and don't give it that meaning. That's just all it comes down to, to me. I mean, if you give it that meaning, then sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, you. Know, I mean. If you don't let your kid participate in the Halloween parties at school, then you're a bad parent. hundred <laughs> percent. Probably gonna catch some flack for that. <laughs> uh, but if you're like, you know what, 
my kid's not, you know, if your kid doesn't participate in Halloween party, then don't let them participate in the Thanksgiving Day holiday either because the pilgrims came over and massacred all the Indians over here. Right. With their smallpox and the other shit they brought up for. <laughs> like, same deal. I mean, these are the same, these are the same people that are, you know, taking the, you know, letting their kid take off for Columbus Day. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just like, come on, like Halloween. Yeah, I'm sure there's some, a few bad apples out there doing some crazy stuff. You know, there's people that say, you know, keep your black cats inside. Because I, mean, I think that's a bunch of hogwash for the most part. Um, and, and really what gets me, the people are like, check your kids' candies. Or people are going to be passing out edibles. No one's passing out edibles. Those are too expensive. Right. No one's trying to get your kid high. And no one's it's like, good lord. I mean, if it, did, I mean, if your kid does get high, then you know, at least they won't be jacked up on sugar. That's probably better for them than the sugar, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> uh, oh, but uh, in that regard, like, I wouldn't take my I wouldn't take my kids to Billy's house. Oh yeah, yeah, that's probably a bad idea. I wouldn't take them to Nolan's either. Um, <laughs> You might be coming no, home with yeah, a, Nolan. You might get more than what you bargained for. You might be coming home with a rabbit if uh, you go to the Nolans uh, for Halloween. Uh, if that's the case, wouldn't that be something? Oh my gosh, yes. But I am pro Halloween. I hope everybody had a good Halloween and enjoyed themselves of some sorts and got all the candy you wanted and did everything that you could have to make for a great Halloween and that you didn't judge other people that enjoyed Halloween themselves. But, Tom, you and I are going to judge people that ban their kids from Halloween because you know what? You deserve that type of treatment. Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't <laughs> like to get, like, too political or too religious, but it's the same thing about, like, uh, I mean, you're already going to know what I'm talking about, but if you don't let your kids celebrate birthdays or holidays or things like that, it's like, come on. I mean, it, your kids, just because you sell, you know, your four-year-old kid's not going to be like, oh, well, Halloween's some satanic holiday. Your kid's not going to know down the road. It's not like them participating. It's not like they're going to go knock on somebody's door <laughs> to get candy and get possessed. <laughs> like, come on. Oh, yes. The, the fake outrage machine. That's almost the Tom Fullery story in itself. Right. We got a, we got a good one today. That's almost a Tom Fuller story in itself. Oh, my gosh. Moving on. Let's go ahead and get to our picks against the spread this week. We'll start out with our college football slate. Some very good top 25 matchups this week uh, on the uh, docket. And uh, let's start out with the uh, world's largest cocktail party. Tom, one day you and I got to find a way to make, uh, make it down to Jacksonville for this. Oh, wouldn't that be something? Uh, world's largest cocktail party. I mean, there are several times where I thought that I might have been in, been in the world's largest cocktail party. Um, actually, we'll have to take a few. You never you never got to meet Jesse when you were here, have you? He lives I, with Jose. No, I have not met Jesse. And I will tell you what, he could be a bartender bartender at one of these places i would i bet we could get him to go if we wanted to round up some people which you know for the world's largest cocktail party i really don't think it would be too hard uh but i i think i already have a you know we could have already a full boat on this we have to make it do i wish that i had jesse's girl 
you might. I mean, if you saw her. <laughs> yeah. Where can I find a woman like that? Okay, I'll stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this show's already getting off the rails today. Um, the world's largest cocktail party. Yes, it is. The world's largest cocktail party, where uh, Tom and I will be bringing Jesse's girl next year. Um, where number eight Georgia will face number six Florida down in Jacksonville. Both teams have one loss on the season, and uh, Georgia just came at the hands of South Carolina just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Florida, their one loss came at the hands of LSU, uh, who's the number one team in college football right now. Tom, I think these are both very good teams. It's a playoff elimination game of some sorts. Uh, you know, winner, the loser of this game is going to have two losses, and they're going to be done. Uh, both good teams. I think Georgia, you know, neutral site and everything. I think they're just the more talented team. I think that they can win and cover that six and a half point margin. Uh, I don't say that confidently, though. I, I feel like this is a toss-up game, even if you take the spread out of hand, I could very well see Florida just winning this game outright. Um, but I'll go with Georgia in this one. Who you got? Yeah, I got to go with Georgia, too. And and it's not a knock on Florida by any means, but I, I think Georgia might, you know, has figured it out after that loss to South Carolina. So I like a lot like this OU team, I think, is going to end up. You know, you come out, you get shocked, uh, and I think they come back and they kick some ass. And I don't think it's going to be more, much more than the six and a half. Uh, but it's going to be enough, I think, to go ahead and, and beat Florida by, a, it honestly, could be seven. Yeah, could be right at a touchdown. But uh, I'll go with Georgia as well. Number 15, SMU taking on number 24, Memphis. College game day is going to be at this game. It's also going to be the Saturday night primetime game as well on ABC. And uh, Memphis barely beat Tulsa on Saturday. If Tulsa could just found a kicking game of some sorts, they would have beaten Memphis last week. Meanwhile, SMU has been one of the hottest teams in all of college football this year. They had a nice win against TCU, some other teams. I mean, they are looking legit, this SMU team is. And they are the odds-on favorite to get the group of five bid into the New Year's Six. And if they get some help... They might be in the playoff discussion, but they would certainly need a lot of help to uh, be a part of that, per se. Historic year for SMU, nonetheless. They're an underdog, though, uh, as they travel to uh, the Liberty Bowl for a uh, terrific matchup uh, between number 15 SMU and number 24 Memphis. Memphis is six-point favorite. Tom, who you got? You know, I'm going to have to go with SMU. And, and uh, I mean, you mentioned Tulsa, too. SMU didn't have, you know, a heyday against Tulsa either. That was a pretty close game. That's true. That's that's a very good point. Um, Tulsa uh, Tulsa should have won that game. I mean, they oh, yeah, exactly. They, they could have. Um, and, you know, this SMU team, though, has been playing hot. And, and at this point in time, I, I, I think you got to just roll with SMU. Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be one of the better. I understand why game day's there. Uh, I mean, it's not for the core, or it's not for the brand name of both teams, but it's more so the quality of the game. And I think it's going to live up to that quality. I mean, both of these teams uh, in, you know, recent past, maybe more so Memphis has been more tough over the past however many years. But uh, I mean, SMU is not anything to mess around with either. Uh, so I, I think this is going to be neck and neck, but I mean, it is pick them for a reason. You got to pick one and I'm taking SMU. I think this is a big day for SMU. Um, this feels like 
something they've been waiting for for 30 years since they got the death penalty. Uh, they have not had a good football program since then. A couple moments here and there, but nothing sustainable. And now this is the first true sign of stability. A uh, big day for SMU uh, as they uh, take out Memphis. Six-point dog. I think SMU wins outright, let alone as an underdog. You're going to give me SMU and six points to work with? Give me a SMU in uh, that one there. Number nine, Washington – or uh, number nine, Utah on the road at Washington. The uh, Utes are a three-and-a-half-point favorite in Seattle. Tom, uh, who gets this one? You know, uh, Utah, I think, can pull this off. Washington, you know, albeit not a bad team at all. Uh, but Utah, just the quality of football that they've been playing, I I cannot pick against them, uh, just it being Washington. It's three and a half points. I, I, you know, I think they can cover by more than a field goal. I don't think that's outrageous to say by any means. Uh, I mean, I see just looking at our slate that a, a couple of other people have picked Washington, but uh, you know, we, we pick these games or essentially you pick these games to be divisive. Uh, this one, I don't have any qualms about taking Utah. I'm going to go with Utah as well. Um, this team should have beaten USC, uh, early on in the season and they'd be undefeated right now looking at a college football playoff berth. Now they're still playing for their playoff lives. I don't see them slipping up against the Huskies. I'll take them to win and cover at three and a half. Another team out of the Pac-12 that's still got a shot at the college football playoff, number seven, Oregon, on the road at USC. They lost to Auburn week one, but they've been great ever since. Best offense, or best uh, defense ever at Oregon, what they've had in their years of college football there. USC has been so up and down this year. The game is going to be played in L.A., and the Ducks are a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Tom, i got to roll with Oregon. I think they're playing really good football right now. I can't trust USC, uh, so I'll go with the Ducks. Who you got? Yeah, you got to go with the Ducks, too. If it was, you know, seven-and-a-half, I might be a little bit, you know, up and down on this one just because this game is usually – I mean, it's a Pac-12 game, and Oregon-USC is historically competitive – um, so it, even, you know, even in it being in LA, um, I, I'm still taking the ducks. Okay. So we, uh, agree on, uh, that front there. Um, the last game on the slate, uh, number 22 K state travels to Lawrence to take on KU in the sunflower showdown. Tom, we always try to find a way to get KU in our pick at least once a year. And this is actually a very good football game. I think this is going to have some nat national interest to see this uh, sold-out Memorial Stadium in Lawrence. The uh, booth will be packed. Um, K-State coming in off a big win against OU a week ago. KU coming in off a big win against Texas Tech. The KU offense has found new life under new offensive coordinator Brent Deerman. K-State they are looking really legit. In particular, their defense might be the best in the entire Big 12 Conference. The Cats come in as a six-point favorite. KU has covered the last two matchups against K-State. But it's worth noting that this is the first game since 2010 that K-State is not a double-digit favorite over KU. Tom, one of the most intriguing Sunflower Showdown games in a long time. Cats, a six-point favorite. Who you got? You know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a hell of a game. And uh, if if K 
K-State wouldn't have beat OU uh, and, and KU would have continued on doing what they did against Tech, I would have taken Kansas. I think K, I think KSU, K-State, I think they're going to ride that wave into this week. I think it's going to be close. I'm The line six, I'm taking K-State by touchdown. I think it's seven points. Um, I mean, more than that. If it would have been seven and a half, I'm taking KU. I'm taking the uh, Jayhawks, and I think I'm the lone one uh, riding KU in this one. Uh, I think that KU is going to make this a competitive game. It's going to go right down to the wire. Um, I like K-State to win the game, but I think KU is going to keep it within the margin of a shot to win this football game within a field goal or so. Um, and Les Miles, he's going to get this team ready up for a big game. Every big game they've had this year, the Jayhawks have uh, contended and been up for the challenge uh, so far this year. Even that OU game, they didn't play bad per se. Um, just way too much talent on that OU side, and that was before Deerman showed up. So um, KU's better at the skill positions than K-State is, uh, but K-State I think is still just a better team overall. I like K-State to win, but I'll go with KU to cover that six-point margin. So those are our college football picks for this week. Tom and I both going with Georgia to cover as a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Florida. Uh, we're both going with SMU as a six-point underdog against Memphis. Both going with Utah as a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Washington. Both going with Oregon as a five-and-a-half-point favorite against USC. And I'm going with KU as a six-point underdog against K-State. Tom's going with K-State as a six-point favorite. Time for our NFL picks this week. The Patriots taking on the Baltimore Ravens. The Patriots are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. First true test of the year for New England. Tom, can uh, Baltimore keep it within that six-and-a-half-point margin at home? I think it is going to be a lot closer than people think. I still like the Patriots by 10. If it was a nine-and-a-half-point favorite, I'd still take the Pats. I mean, Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You're saying that you like this game closer than people think. The people think it's going to be a a six-and-a-half-point game. I mean, that's Vegas. I think a lot of people think that the Patriots are a lock. I I see your logic there, though. I, I see where that might sound insane. I think Patriots win by 10. I don't think they win by 14. I think a lot of people think they might win by 14 or more. Your Who are these people? Person, I think would say Pats win by two touchdowns. Who are these people? I Just your average everyday person who doesn't, you know, normally follow the league super hardcore. When you hear the Patriots... You think they're just going to win, you know, everything. Maybe I'm, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I okay. need names, Tom. I, I feel wrong, like you're I just, I feel like you're just making up people. I'm not going to be wrong about this game. I feel like you're just I'm making up people, Tom. I feel like you're just making up people. I'm not going to be wrong. You're not giving me any names I mean, here. My, my, okay, okay. I bet you Nolan probably thinks that the Patriots win by 14 or more. You're saying probably. Have you talked to him about this? I don't need to talk to him. After last week's debacle about Brocktober, I don't have to prove anything. Oh, you, you you have a lot to prove. I did a lot better than you in picks last week. Uh, I'm going to go with the Patriots. Uh, yeah, because we had to trade. We had to trade picks. They don't we know that. They don't know that. Yeah, that. That's off the record. They know that. I, that's I, off the I record. You. I, I, I didn't want you to be in last place forever. You did um, not want it. You copied my picks, and then you backed off on a couple games. We we made some trades, and I ended up winning I those didn't trades. I copy, and I, I saved you a game. 
I saved you, and I'm not saving you here. Um, so if that's the case, K-State's going to win by 30, and the Patriots are going to win by 10. Uh, and that brings us – well, I guess you still have to make your pick on this game. But, I mean, don't play any fool's gold here. We know what really what the deal is. I'm picking New England. Vegas says six and a half. I guess that's what people are saying. They're going to win by six and a half, actual people in Vegas. Um, I like New England to win by a touchdown. I think that they can you know, go on the road and win by a touchdown. I'll go with the Patriots there. The Chiefs taking on the Vikings. The Chiefs are a six-and-a-half-point favorite as they try to end their home losing streak. They've lost three straight games at home. The Vikings coming in red hot on a four-game winning streak, and Kirk Cousins is the NFC Player of the Month. Tom, do the Chiefs end that losing streak and come away with a win and cover three-and-a-half? I mean, we already gave Zimmer his game plan earlier on the show, so if he listens, I think it's a surefire win for Vikings, not by nine and a half, uh, but I think they can win and manage by the spread in this one. I think this spread is legit. I think Matt Moore still plays well, uh, but that Chiefs run defense, I'm a little shaky on, uh, and Dalvin Cook's just too good of a running back. All right. I think that's the difference. I'm going to go with uh, Kansas City here. Uh, sounds like Patrick's going to be back. Um, I can't imagine this team losing four straight at home. Um, I know that we gave out the game plan, but the Chiefs got to find a way, some way, somehow. Maybe it's just wishful thinking, but uh, I'll go in with the Chiefs to a win and cover as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The Bears and Eagles, we talked about this one uh, early on in the show, Tom. This is a must-win game for both these teams. The Eagles are a three-point favorite um, in this one. The uh, Bears, you know, just hoping for life to find some quarterback play of some sorts. Um, who comes through with uh, with this one, Tom, in this desperate game for both teams? You know, you got to think it's the Eagles here. Uh, I, I do think this is going to be a close team or a close game. I think these teams are evenly matched. Uh, but just, man, the way that the Bears have been playing recently, and I, I think probably team morale's a little bit down. You hit the goalpost. I mean, it would have been better if you were going to lose, go wide left. Go wide right. Don't hit the post. Dear God, don't hit the post. You know? Right. I, I almost feel like that's worse than if you were to just completely shank it. Uh, for the Bears, and I think their woes continue. I don't think it's by many woes. I don't think, you know, woes translating to points, but I still think it's enough woes uh, to to have the Bears in the loss column again. So I will take the Eagles. I'll take uh, the Eagles in this one as well as a three-point favorite. I think that they can win this game by a touchdown or more and uh, take care of business uh, against this group. They're just a lot better football team than the uh, Bears are right now and a lot better offense. I think they'll be fine at home. The Colts taking on the Steelers. The Steelers are a one-point favorite. Both these teams playing with backup quarterbacks, essentially. Jacoby Brissett has played really good. The run game for New for Indianapolis is very solid as well. Pittsburgh came out shaky in that first half against the Dolphins as they trail at the halftime break. Mason Rudolph coming off that concussion played much better in that second half. The Steelers starting to hit their stride with a couple wins the last few weeks and also a bye week as well. Tom, are you buying that the Steelers' problems are fixed? Is this a real threat? Are the Steelers a real threat to win the AFC North? You know, I still think they are. Um, just, I, I, obviously I think we both think the Ravens lose this week. Uh, 
as far as the Browns go. You know, anything can happen there, and we know the Bengals aren't going to compete. So, I mean, I think the Steelers, you know, slow start. I think they can afford one here. I think they're going to have to afford one here because the way the Colts are playing, I I want the Steelers to win for the sake of Mason Rudolph. Uh, it is favorable for them because it is at Heinz Field and, you know, unfavorable for Adam Vinatieri to pull any late-game heroics uh, because in November, I'm sure the weather's not too favorable uh, in Pittsburgh. I still think the Colts can get it done, though. The uh, Steelers are favored, and I really liked what I saw in that second half from uh, the Steelers. Uh, the Colts, their good momentum has got to end at some point, and the Steeler defense, Tom, is really coming along. That pickup of Mika Fitzpatrick was uh, fantastic. Bud Foster is looking like maybe the most uh, one of the one of the best defensive players in the league this year. Just the way that he has shot up the charts and performed. Uh, I think that defense is going to have a, a good time against Indianapolis. They're going to you know change things up a bit. I think Pittsburgh wins and covers in this one. I have never been confident picking Pittsburgh this year. I haven't done it very often, but uh, I'll do it in this case as a one-point favorite. Last game on the docket, Cowboys and Giants. This game in New York, Dak Prescott versus Danny Dimes. Dallas is a nine-point favorite against the Giants. Tom, if Eli was played this game, I'm taking the Cowboys you know, night and day. But Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones has been unbelievable. Uh, he's had about maybe one rough start, but that's been it. Um, I think that he's going to play well. I don't necessarily have the the Giants winning per se, but I think that's too many points. I think the Giants uh, could keep it within five or six in uh, this game. I'll go with the Giants. I don't think this is going to be a pretty game by any means, uh, but I'll go with the Giants to cover as a, a nine-point underdog. You know, I I didn't even I'm, – I'm like – Halfway in between, this is probably the toughest game because it is so many points. Um, and, and, you know, Dallas playing in New York and not at home, not in Jerry World with a covered top. Uh, this is a tough one. Um, for the sake of, you know, not picking the same games here, uh, for to a certain extent, I will go ahead and stick with my original pick of the Dallas Cowboys. They've burnt me so many times before. I hope they don't burn me again. Um, I will roll with Dallas as much as it pains me to say. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked, though, if the Giants lose by three in cover. All right. All right. Uh, so those are our picks this week uh, with the NFL. We're both going with the Patriots as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm taking the Chiefs to cover at three-and-a-half. Tom has taken the Vikings. We both like the Eagles as a three-point favorite. I'm going with the Steelers as a one-point underdog. Tom's going with – or as a one-point favorite. Tom's going with the Colts. And then I'm going with the Giants as a nine-point underdog. And Tom's going with the uh, Cowboys. So uh, a lot of diversity there when it comes to the NFL picks this week uh, between Thomas and myself. So uh, that could be good or bad. We'll uh, see how that goes. And uh, the standings-wise, for those following along at home – uh, they have gotten much tighter now. Uh, Billy is leading at 46-42-2. None of us are doing great by any means. We're not making money on this by any means, based on our numbers. Billy's leading the way at 46-42-2. Derek's in second at 45-43-2. And, two. and uh, third is Tom at 42-46-2. Uh, 
And then uh, Nolan's at 38-50-2. And, and then I'm not alone at the bottom anymore. Uh, Reed and I are tied at 37-51-2. Reed was leading at one point. Now he's all the way down in last place. So a rough couple weeks for him. Um, and, and here's an interesting note, Tom, if you want a, a nugget of some sorts. And it's not too late to change your pick yet. This is your, your last chance. The college football game of the week, the top game in the country, uh, all of us have gotten wrong. We've all picked the same team, and we've gotten it wrong three out of the last four weeks. That is surprising and bad on our part as wannabe college football analysts. Uh, at the same time, though, they're game of the weeks for a reason because they are close. Um, I'm not going to change my pick. Jones, are you going to change yours? Not on that game. I'm tempted to take the Vikings now because I just saw that for for Halloween, O.J. Simpson is uh, O.J. Mahomes. Oh, man. That is uh, – I mean, change your pick if you must. Uh, I mean – That sounds like a curse right that there. Is, yeah, it might be. If the Chiefs, if the Chiefs lose this weekend, I'm referencing back to that tweet, no doubt. There you go. We'll and blame OJ. Like OJ curse. I mean, it's not like OJ hasn't been blamed for doing bad things before. I mean, it would only add to the list. Um, there you go. Guilty as charged. <laughs> if if I did it, there it is. We'll blame OJ if I did it. Um, before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. Tom, what do we got? Jones, so we're going online. We're not going anywhere specific like we usually do. We're going straight to social media, uh, as bad as that is. And this starts off with Facebook, Instagram, bans sexual use of eggplant and peach emojis. Social media, media is waging a sexually charged war on fruits and veggies. In July... Facebook and Instagram quietly updated the Facebook community standards language regarding permissible sexual expression on the social media platforms. These guidelines cover Instagram too. Under the new terms, which were officially enacted in September, pairing eggplant or peach emoji with any expression of what out.com deems being horny now qualifies as sexual solicitation. This can get a user's account flagged or removed. Adult industry news site XBIZ XBiz reports. Uh, Jones, this was 2019. We can get banned from social media for the use of emojis. Wow. So I don't know how to feel about it. So let me get this straight. If I use an emoji like that in a sexual manner, then I'm going to get flagged. That would be like if you commented on that girl who showed her boobs at the game. If you commented like three eggplants in a row and maybe a couple water droplets, done. Wow. I would bet, Tom, there's going to be a lot of people getting suspended on Facebook the in the near future. You know, I think they should come out. Well, you know, I don't know if they do this in Kansas. I bet they do. It's Kansas. It's a magazine called Jailbirds. They put people's picture in this little newspaper you can pick up for like $2. Comes out once a month with all of the mugshots in that county 
well, ours is ours here in Bartlesville. There's like three. It's like Washington Ca- County, Osage County, and K County. Uh, and they put all the mug shots in there with what they got arrested for. Um, and it's fun to see. It's like a, a criminal yearbook. You see people that you went to high school with and you that ooh. I think they should come out with something like this for people who get banned on social media or go to social media jail for the use of emojis. Right. And that would be very embarrassing. The punishment at the end of the day, okay, you get suspended or kicked off Facebook or whatever. That almost be might be a reward in itself in actuality. Right. I mean, I've taken a break from social media before and, and – if I didn't do, obviously, one, the show, and two, the DJ business, I probably wouldn't have one because there are sometimes it gets very time-consuming, as, I mean, you know it as well. Oh, my gosh. Um, do you get those updates on your phone, Tom, of how much time you've been on your, your phone per week? No. No, because I don't want to know. <laughs> my numbers um i usually average over seven hours a day on my phone seven hours a day i mean you use your phone you're not just texting and snapchat i mean you use your phone for business though too that's true and i only have one phone i'm not one of these people in my business that has multiple phones Right, so cut that time in half, essentially, and you're not doing terrible. I mean, I mean, I, I guess if I'm being real, I'm on my phone at work. Uh, when I get home, I, I like to browse the news stories of the day. I could do that on my computer if I, you know, but I can't just up and just walk around with my computer in hand like I can my phone. Uh, because if I could, I would, you know, take my MacBook wherever and walk around with it. I also can't call people on it. It's terrible. It is. Uh, Jones, there's more to the story. Uh, The Facebook community standards language is quite broad. Not naming the emojis emojis specifically, but referring to commonly used sexual emojis or emoji strings as criteria which qualifies as suggestive elements. Content will only be removed from Facebook and Instagram if it contains a sexual emoji alongside an implicit or indirect ask for nude imagery, sex, or sexual partners, or sex chat conversations. We aren't taking actually on simply the emojis. So, you might be good just to put three eggplants in a row, as long as you don't accompany of it with uh, a few words. Nude photos where emojis cover genitalia, butts, or female nipples are also now formally not allowed, as are any links or info leading to pornographic or otherwise adult material. Porn stars feel explicitly targeted by the new standards. Adult actor Kendra James tells XBiz, She was once banned from Instagram on the grounds of solicitation after I told a man who DM'd me demanding free new pics that this was my job and he could join my site. Jones, I, you know what? Do what you will with it. Um, I get that, what they're trying to go do. And I'm not necessarily like, let the porn stars do whatever they want. But at the same time, if someone's, you know, propositioning them 
they're not out there, you know, dropping links and or DMing DM random people saying, hey, join my site. Peach emoji, peach emoji, eggplant, eggplant, water, water, water. You know, I mean, we've all done it. I don't care who you are. Uh, you know, I don't care if, you know, you don't let your kids participate in Halloween because of what you think it means. We've all dropped laughingly the eggplant, eggplant, eggplant. I don't care who you are. We've all done it. Right, right. We have uh, to some degree at some extent of some sorts. And this goes back to, you know, too much PC of some sorts. You know, we're trying to defeat this PC culture as things have gotten out of control. And I think Facebook's guilty of it as anybody in this case. Uh, what, what harm does it do, Tom, if this exists? If somebody has an issue with this, if somebody has an issue, they feel like they're being you know, sexually harassed or something on their post because somebody commented that, um, can't you delete other people's comments on your post? Or block them. Right. Bingo. Bingo. Too much censorship. Too much PC. I and mean, that's what the block button's for. I'm interested, Tom. But that's what it's come down to. Obviously, I would have to do this the right way. Um, I want to test this and see if uh, I actually would get blocked or, uh, you know, suspended or whatever for doing this. Maybe I'll go comment on one of, like, your posts or Nolan's posts or something with this and see if uh, I get reported of some sorts. There you go. Or go comment on the Rage Yoga from last week in Kansas City and put peach emoji, peach emoji, peach emoji and see what happens. Oh, wouldn't that be great? And we're still going to that, right? Oh, as soon as I make my way up to Kansas City, if OSU was playing KU in a couple weeks in Lawrence, we would go. I would take off, and we would stay that Monday night. We would go to it, and then I would drive home. Oh, I'm in. Uh, One of these days. I, I think it's such a thing. I know we're going back to last week, but I think it's such a thing. It'll be around long enough for me to make it up to Kansas City to make it to one of those. It's only going to get bigger and more expensive from here. That's what it comes down to. A <laughs> hundred eggplant emojis to get in. Yes, yes. And a hundred and one gets you the uh, the uh, late night special. Oh, yeah. Is that at All-Stars or is that at uh, Applebee's? Um, maybe both. Depends yeah, on what maybe. you want. I'm probably a couple of the same people working there. Maybe so. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. On that note, let's go ahead and get out of here. Big thanks to Jared Sutton for joining us here on the uh, Jones Report today. Uh, make sure to follow him. Also, uh, follow us at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, Instagram at Tyler Jones Live, at Insta Thomas. Um, Jones underscore reports. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week. For Thomas Bridges and Jared Sutton, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week. The Jones Report. Yeah.